Hello and welcome to the Hacked Off Podcast. In today's episode, I have Ian with me. Now, Ian has been on the podcast before, but presuming the people listening today haven't heard your prior episode, Ian, what do you do? What do you fill your time with these days? Uh, what do I fill my time with these days? Coffee, mostly. I try to stay as caffeined up as possible. It helps me function. But generally, I am delving more into the world of, of awareness and cyber awareness, but also how video can help in terms of raise profiles and brands uh, specifically within security. So, so how it can get a personality across, how it can work in, get messages across, and how the humour within the video works as the as the catalyst for delivering that. So it's fair to say then you're working on grabbing people's attention. <laughs> yeah, grabbing their attention or turning them off really quickly. It's kind of more, mate. So <laughs> I, I'm and I'm happy with that. The more might bit really works for me. Yeah. So. In in your course to grab people's attention through video content, how do you how do you pull that off? How do you make engaging videos that that people want to watch? Be it security awareness training or be it brand building, how do you get people's attention? I think I I, I and my team. So there's a few of us that sit down and we come up with these stupid ideas for for videos. We we always try and set out with a something that makes us laugh, something that makes us uh, chuckle, something that we may not fully understand, whether that's a, a topic within security or whether it's something that's happening in the news. And then we try and bring it to life within the video. And also the guys try and make me look as stupid as possible on the video as well, which I'm all too happy to accommodate them on. Now, so that we don't lose the audience immediately as they go and try and find some of these videos. What, what do you mean by look as stupid as possible? Can you give us some examples for the audience? Yeah, so so I think all kind of humour or all comedy is based on something happening to other people that you empathise with and you sympathise in a certain way because it's not you. So I put myself in those silly situations where, as a proxy people can look at me doing the things that they may or may not have done allegedly in the past and find a, a common ground where they, where they can go, okay, there's, there's somebody else doing that. They're the full guy. That's kind of funny. So, so whether it's a uh, silly scenario of, of making myself look like Magnum PI or PC as it was in, in a recent video or using some of the elements of my uh, earlier upbringings in the Roman Catholic religion to bring a Father Ian approach to it. It's it's using those silly scenarios and those backgrounds to kind of uh, bring forward important points and, and make people make people laugh whilst we're doing it as well because I'm of a firm believer that um, humour helps memory retention and makes things memorable. I can still recount most of the life of Brian. I know I've seen it hundreds of times but I can still recount most of that or most of my favourite Billy Connolly jokes or Jimmy Carr jokes or, or whoever. That, it's interesting to hear you say uh, humour in the context of this video content, because of course when we talk about security awareness training, I don't think I can think of many examples of where people have described their security awareness training as really funny or driving a point home through humour. I don't think that's a stereotype of security awareness training. No, it isn't. It's normally a, a kind of one month a year in, in October for, for most people, or, or it's or it's having a content platform where, you know, it's delivered from the one provider. And most of the feedback before I started doing this, most of the feedback I got about it was a lot of the content was dull, was uninteresting, didn't inspire them, was too long, 
too tortuous to get through. And there are exceptions to that, by the way, you know, the restricted intelligence guys, the inside man, all of that type of stuff is 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 quite funny in in a different way. But as a general rule of thumb, um, most people sit through their awareness because they're made to sit through it. I want to make videos and content where people want to sit through it. I also want to make it short enough that they don't have to mandate that it's done on a Monday at three o'clock, that somebody can watch the three, four, five minute video on their phone, can sit at home and watch it with their kids. And there's a lot of feedback through LinkedIn that I get where people come back and say, hey, I still remember that stuff because that stupid rap you did or, or that rhyme or that silly scenario, which is great because it makes people remember the stuff long after long after I've forgotten it, to be quite honest. Yeah, it also sounds a little bit like if they're watching it for other reasons other than it's just it's just good content where they're going to learn something, it's like, hey, it's funny or it's compelling for some other reason. You can almost imagine people like waiting for the next episode and kind of like following along. And, and that means that, or it could mean that it's, it's more at the front of their mind if they're thinking about it more frequently then they're, they're presumably going to remember it more readily yeah that that's that's half the, the the battle and it's to make it a bit more subconscious and 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 the reason i started doing it is not an egotistical thing to be because i generally have a face for radio right but it was because my son my wife my dad friends would constantly send me texts or emails or ask me you know is this a scam and thinking well if they very intelligent people most of them I've put that in for my friends if the, if they get to listen to this podcast thing and is he talking about me? Yes, I probably am. Um so so most of them are, are semi-intelligent and if they can still not spot a scam which seems obvious to people like us in the industry I I think there's a gap that exists there that they're not being spoken to effectively about it or being taught effectively about it and that that is where it, it allows the, the humor to come in and that's really what drove me to to do it is is a lot of that was was coming out during the covid stuff when they were getting more text and more emails and stuff like that so I thought um that there's something in it here because I can see it's a scam you could probably see it's a scam many people in our industry can see it's a scam but the ordinary person can't and I think that's where the issue lies as well is that too many people either in awareness or when they're building a brand or doom they 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 think they know what other people need from it, where actually it works wonders if you get out and talk to other people who who want something different than what you perceive. Get out of your ivory tower, go and talk to them, go and see what their issues are, try and give it to them in plain language. And and that's what I do. I try and give it to people in plain language, but colour it with humour. So why haven't we solved this problem yet? Why are companies still having to perform things like security awareness training? And why are you still having to produce content like this if we've had these messages for years now? And it's not the case of just the messages are getting better or getting easier to remember. Think back to things like, you know, the World War II security awareness posters. We see loose lips sink ships, you know. People remember that. They remember that message. And yet, People still have problems with operational security, sharing personal information over emails, clicking links in emails. Why is it taken us so many decades and we're still struggling? I think it's it's a really good point. And, and that was one of the first phrases I, I, I ever learned when I joined the Ministry of Defence. But by the way, back in 1992, I think it was, loose lips sink ship. Is that because they don't want to spend the budget on new posters? Have they still just got the originals up? <laughs> Possibly. But I, I worked in, in a lot of dockyards and around the country and heavily guarded stuff and all that. And 
and there was still terrorist activity on on the mainland and things like that. So there was a lot of personnel security. There was a lot of uh, understanding the threat and and things like that. Um, and also this weekend, I went to Bletchley Park where I saw a bunch of those posters as well. Now, for those who aren't who aren't familiar with Bletchley Park, you know, it's all about the code breakers and the beginnings of GCHQ and the cracking of the Enigma code and the Lorenz ciphers and stuff like that. If you've never been go, it's 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 a wonderful, wonderful place. And I'm not sure why it's taken me this long to, to get there. But those posters were there then. So like you say, going back to the Second World War and probably even before that, probably back to the First World War, a lot of, I hesitate to call it research because that makes me sound as if I put some thought into it. A lot of my reading into why people do that type of stuff, it surrounds things like cognitive biases. It surrounds things like our genetic makeup. It surrounds things like why, as mammals, why we've evolved into the society we've evolved into. And it's largely to do with trust. It's largely to do with helping people. And and it doesn't matter how many times you tell somebody uh, not to click on the link or not to fall prey to this con or to look both ways when they're crossing the road, you know, or not to drink and drive or put your seatbelt on when you're driving. People still do it and, and they still do it. They do it for convenience. They do it for ease. They do it because they think they're invincible. That's where the cognitive biases come into it. You know, they're better than average. I can drive on three pints. You know, I'm not saying I can. I'm, not, I'm giving a, an, an example. You're not just showing off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can imagine. Oh, hang on. There's a knock on the door. I think that's the police. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I think there's there's many many different reasons, and P.T. Barnum is is supposedly credited with there's one born every minute. You know, it, it doesn't matter who we are or what scenario we're in. Different pressures, different emotions, and different triggers for those things. The ways out of those emotions. If we're in terrible debt, and somebody comes along and says, "Hey, click on this link, and we can reduce your debt by seventy five percent." Somebody in the depths of that despair may be attracted into doing that. So, so, so I think we're we're hard coded into it, and I think why things have failed and will potentially continue to fail is because. There's, there's part of us as well that, that doesn't want to seem to step outside the norm. I get it quite a bit with my content. I get, get it that, oh, we'll never get this past HR or we'll ne- never get it past corporate. And I'm thinking, why what, Why is that? Is it because you, you're worried about offending somebody or is it because you're worried that somebody thinks that you think this type of humour is okay? And therefore, if they don't think it's okay, you're not in their gang. And it's it, it's a really interesting conundrum because I think when when I look at it and the feedback I get from it, um, it is is overwhelmingly positive. I I get the odd bit bit of negative feedback, which is which is fine. That's no problem. When people do give me negative feedback or when they take issue with some of the content, they have to remember that the algorithm on LinkedIn works that they're promoting it more, even if they're getting angrier and angrier and angrier about it, which is a, a lovely double edged sword for me. You know, I, I I have to point that out to them sometimes. You know, you're getting angry about this. You're making stuff up that you're seeing in the content and. And you're just making it visible to to everybody else. But I think part of the issue is that we want to play things safe. We don't want to step outside of the norm. We don't want to seem to upset other people. But again, another saying attributed to Einstein, doing what you've always done and expecting different outcomes is the very definition of insanity. That's exactly where I see a lot of the security awareness today. You know, I see them as saying the same things in different ways in not really engaging 
the people that they're talking to um, or, or focusing on one provider. We've bought X, therefore we're going to use X. It's got to be a multi-layered approach, surely, because some people may like my videos, some people may like Nobefores or Proofpoints or Bob Businesses or CybeSafes or all the big boys in, in the market, you know, and surely it's a combination of all those approaches that will give people a real view of or a real plethora of information where they can choose what tickles their fancy. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say about cognitive bias as well, because I think some people, certainly when they're going through security awareness training or when they're thinking about phishing emails and scam emails and things like that, you know, feel like they could spot them a mile off and they could pick them up very easily. And, you know, if I was to present two emails to you and say, we're going to check how good you are at picking phishing emails, which of these two emails is a phishing email, you're going to spend a whole lot more time looking at it and you're maybe going to inspect the headers and hover over the links and look for poor English and things like that. But the truth is when we're working, you know, I work 100 hours a week, we're busy, tired and distracted. Cognitive bias doesn't have to be just the way that you are fundamentally wired. It can just be how you are anchored that day or the context that you're operating in. And I think that gets missed a lot when people think about um, whether they would be at risk or, or trying to come up with, you know, a uh, risk management approach for phishing where they think, oh, it's it's really easy. You know, you spot the poor English and, and that that's a scam, right? It's a little bit harder than that. It is, and, and, and it's other really silly things, like, you know, embedding a link in the unsubscribe section and think because, you know, if you batter people with enough of that spam, they're going to click the unsubscribe at some point, right? And bingo, it's... it's Plus also as well, I, I think part of it, Holly, is, is that I think organisations have to build trust with their, with their people. Um, I think also as well that trust can be eroded in a second. You know, we've, we've seen the bad phishing campaigns that people do where... Um, the the rail company not so long ago, and I think GoDaddy before that, where they emailed people for working really hard, congratulating them and offering them a bonus if they click the link, and then going, aha, you clicked the link. Well, of, of course I clicked the link. You offered me money, you know? Most people would in that pressured situation. In the middle of a global pandemic. Exactly, exactly. So, so, so that trust can be eroded really quickly. Plus, also, I say quite often, I think businesses have the equation of awareness the wrong way around. They're training people in inverted commas to be on the lookout for stuff that could harm the business, whereas actually what they should be doing is educating them and giving them the cyber savviness to spot the stuff that could help them in their online life with their family and their friends and their wider network, because if you... If you've learned something and you're able to teach somebody else, it ingrains the learning, it, it, the learning even more. And then by that very nature of giving it to somebody else as a benefit, you've, you've got a more educated and informed workforce than if you're forcing them to do this year's annual training, which they're going to click through next, 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 next to get through as quickly as possible. And you're, not, you, you're going to get um, less engagement than, than you would if you made it more relevant to their daily lives. Yeah. Also, when you mention kind of making it consumable through, you know, shorter content, I think for a lot of people where their experience has been security awareness training is like a two hour meeting that you have once a year and somebody runs through a hundred security awareness slides where they tell you what personally identifiable information is and run you through the specifics of GDPR. I think it takes a lot of energy to to sit through those things. Whereas if you're just creating content that's easily consumable, you know, a few minutes here and there, easily shared if you think it's, you know, useful to other people or 
easy to review if you think you've forgotten something. Now, what, what did he say in that video? I'll go watch it again, it'll take me a couple of minutes. I think that's just fundamentally a different approach to kind of brute forcing awareness training. Also as well, it, it offers the potential for viral content and viral discussion, right? It, it's it's almost like, did you see what he said on the last video? What What's he got in this one? Or, or what have they got in, in this one? Because I, I get people coming back to me time and time again saying, I, I spotted that that URL you put in there, www.grannyxratedimages.com, or something silly like that. And, I, and I'm like, I, I, I forgot I put that in there. Or one of my guys snuck that URL in there without telling me. As if, it, you know, that that type of thing. And, and it shows people are paying attention. It shows people are paying more attention to that silliness in three minutes than they ever did to the 100 slides once a year, you know? Yeah, there's a thing there as well about company culture in terms of, like, you're never going to drive cultural development through, you know, brute forcing a PowerPoint at somebody. Whereas what you're talking about here is, you know, people having discussions about it and those water cooler moments of kind of sitting down and talking about, what did you think about that? Have you ever seen one of these? You're going to drive potentially behavioral changes or at least thought process changes through through that kind of content in, in a way that you never would through, you know, please consume this bulk of text. I, I agree. And, and I think I also understand it takes a while to, to change behavioral. And I think you need something that's the catalyst. And I think what I'm trying to do as a general awareness is kind of bring everybody up to a certain level. Um, I'm not trying to make people experts in this or that. I'm trying to bring ev I'm trying to raise that general awareness up. Although I do get requests to do specific things for specific teams and specific types of videos. But I think if you can raise that, that general stuff, um, then, then you, 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 you're halfway there to, to opening the door for different discussions then. Yeah, w one of the things as well, I think companies talk a big game about cultural change and, and you know driving a security culture and those kinds of things. But I rarely actually see companies doing anything that I would consider cultural driving. I think, you know, the security team are very heavily invested in it, but, but maybe no one else is. And I definitely think that getting people to talk frequently about a topic is the way that you can do that. To paraphrase Ben Horowitz, you know, yoga classes in the office isn't company culture. It's just a nice to have for people who like yoga. Doing something that's you know specifically going to um, give employees an example of what you're looking for is helpful. Ben Horowitz, in his in one of his books, mentions um, when Amazon was a new company, one of the things that they did was they built their desks out of doors. The idea being that you know keeping costs low and delivering value to customers, and you know we're not going to spend lots of money on fancy office desks. We're going to make them from the the most value filled materials that we can. And the the benefit of that kind of thing, while some people might think that's a little bit silly, like just buy a desk, why are you making desks out of doors? Um, you're spending a huge amount of time and it probably costs the same anyway. Is the fact that it's constantly there and you're constantly thinking about it. If you're working on a desk, you know, it's at the front of your mind. It's not something that you're going to forget about and it's not something that you're not going to think about for the next 11 months. Yeah, and, and that's why I think also as well, you need it little and often. You need it reinforced all the time. So, you know, I it doesn't matter how many times you tell people your password, you need to change your password regularly, it needs to be this strength and redo the policy and all that type of stuff. People will still use the same password and change things around the edges. You know, people will still recycle them, people will still share them, people will still so it has to be continuously reinforced. It's a never ending circular momentum that we need. 
Um, and, and I know that sounds as if I'm kind of touting for a never-ending business, but <laughs> but it's true, right? It, it, it really is true. And whether it's kind of my videos or somebody else's cartoons or somebody else's puppet show or somebody else's Hollywood-produced series, I couldn't give a shit, I'll be quite honest, uh, as long as people are getting the message. So one thing that, you know, I think you have had good success in is is building an audience and getting uh, an audience's attention. If there's, you know, security leadership or, uh, or members of a security team who are listening to this and thinking, you know, yeah, this sounds great. We want to drive more security awareness in our organization. How do they build their audience? How do they grab a company's attention? Bearing in mind that for, for a lot of security teams, their experiences, as soon as they walk in the room, people start yawning. Yeah, or, or they roll out the stereotype of here's, here's the team who like to say no. Uh, so so I think when people first meet me and they hear me, they roll out the stereotype of the typical scouser, right? So I think you've got to own that stuff. I think you've got to call it out early doors. I think you've got to make people aware that you know that they know that they're thinking, here are those pains in the asses that like to make life difficult for everybody. And then find your own, I'm punching myself in the face when I'm saying this, find your own voice. By that, I don't mean be somebody who you're not. I mean, be yourself and be free to be yourself. Because you know, we've met in real life, and you know I'm the same person as you'll see in the video, minus the props and that, when I go out and have a drink with people. Obviously, if you're a security leader, and you're a misogynist and a racist and a this and a that and an ageist and stuff like that, I would say don't be yourself, actually probably think about retiring and moving on to a different job, right? But if you, you know, if if your thing as, as a security leader is, I don't know, uh, motorsports and you're into building teams around that, then find something in that that resonates with your audience that you can connect to them on. And once you then connect to them, and they know a little bit more about you because then you have to expose yourself a little bit again, not in a, a legal way or anything like that. But you have to show them that you're you're a bit more human than than the person that they think has just walked into the room. Yeah, and it's that it's that making them realise that you you're there to help them kind of thing, isn't it? It's like we're not just going to say no and we're not just going to tell you all of the, the things that you can't do. We may in fact get the idea past HR that you're going to expose yourself. So we've talked generically about uh, things like using video content and trying to build a little bit of a personal brand on LinkedIn to get people to listen to the messaging that you have. But what is that message? What is it that organizations should be worrying about? We, we've mentioned phishing emails, right? But what is the broader problem with security awareness training? Or is it just phishing emails? Have we, have we done it already? Uh, well, I mean, if you're selling a phishing solution, then yes, it is phishing emails, right? And we've done a big tick. Let's move on. Let's mine, Mine's a pint of lager, please. <laughs> I think the big problem is is apathy, right? I think the big problem, again, we come back to cognitive biases. We're better than average. It'll never happen to me or gambler's fallacy, all of that type of stuff. It's over there. It's it's somebody else's problem, to quote Douglas Adams. You know, people are wrapped to somebody else's problem field and, and can never see the thing that's right in front of them. And I think that's part of, of the issue. It's just that... Uh, I don't care. And I really don't. And, and and we have to accept that. We have to accept that people don't care enough and we have to make them care. And that's that that means meeting them where they care, where what's important to them, and trying to cross that that road of them thinking that we're the big bad no people. 
to their side of the street where it's always sunnier, it's always optimistic, it's always positive, it's always about making more money for the business mm-hmm. and getting involved in them and making making them feel as if we're part of their team, you know, because I think for a very long time, we've sat back and thought, like parents in the 70s, right? We've sat back and thought, well, you do as I say and, and not not as I do. And, and, and if you don't, I'll beat you and stuff like that. You know, that synchronized smacking that parents used to have, you know, when they pick you up by the arm. Well, you possibly wouldn't because you're young, you're much younger than I am. But, but yeah, I, I, th- I think I think we have to go and meet them. We have to do it more than halfway. We have to cross the street. We have to go to their side. Um, and, and we have to help them uh, care a bit more. And, and we're not doing that well enough. We're not, help- we're not giving people enough of a reason to care. And that doesn't mean, oh, don't do this. You'll, you'll, you'll lose your savings or, or, and use fear, uncertainty and doubt. I think by making them care enough, I mean, I mean giving them stuff that they... They want to see and want to read and want to watch rather than forcing them to to do it, you know? Yeah, uh, slight counterpoint. Uh, I'm not necessarily against the idea of making um, security and security awareness a somebody else's problem. Problem, And the, the, the reason for that is, in my experience, um, not, not with every security awareness problem, but, but certainly several of them. In my experience, one, one of the things is people not reporting security issues and security incidents. And you can have it somebody else's problem, but, but tell them that they've got that problem. I'll give you an example. One of the things that I've done being a penetration tester is done an awful lot of physical access testing, right? It's the breaking into buildings side of the job. And very often we can, you know, um, enter a target workspace, do whatever it is that we're doing, access computer systems, access exposed network ports, or just hang around to see if anyone challenges us, that kind of thing. And very, very rarely, in fact, almost never do, do people report our presence to security. But if you go around afterwards and you talk to people and you say, hey, did you notice anyone in here yesterday that you, you didn't uh, recognize? They'll say, yeah, there was this woman. I didn't recognize her. She seemed somewhat suspicious. And it's like, did you tell anybody? <laughs> And, you know, we could make improvements just through things like sharing information, right? It's like, hey, I just got a phishing email. Other people in the same room as me might have also got that phishing email or my team might also get that phishing email. I should I should let them know to keep an eye out for it, what it looks like and why it was suspicious to me. Or, hey, there's somebody, you know, walking around the building that I don't recognize. They might not, maybe not supposed to be here or maybe they're just a visitor who's unescorted. But those kinds of things should be, should be reported. Finishing off the physical access point, an awful lot of organizations rely on um, staff members challenging strangers. And in my experience, that almost never happens. Um, It's very, very rare for anyone on a physical access test to ask us who we are or what we're doing. But I'm of the opinion, if you instead train them to reporters to, you know, reception or facilities or security or whoever's responsibility is at your organization, they're much more likely to do that. And the reason for it is a lot of people don't like talking to strangers, right? <laughs> they don't want to come and ask me who I am and what I'm doing, but they might drop an email to somebody if they have a somebody to drop an email to and just say, hey, someone here I don't recognize. I agree. I agree. Again, it, what, what what you do from that social point, you play on the weak areas of, of you, you know, generally people are not going to come up and say, hey, can I help you? You know, and actually uh, there's, there's probably a different conversation to be had there. The absolute nerve and the I, I can't find a different word to it than the balls you need to be able to do that type of stuff. You know, it's a different skill set. Take my hat off to people who do it. Here's a, a funny thing that I rarely talk about when I talk about physical access testing. One, one of the things that I often talk about is when we're doing physical access testing, we're breaking into buildings. There'll often be two of us. And, and the reason for this is, you know, variation of, of things that you can do. You can help each other out. One can spot, one can uh, access a system that's unattended, something like that. Uh, but also, if somebody does come up to challenge you, 
the other person can join you and suddenly it's two against one. And I talk about that very often where, you know, if somebody's going to challenge you, you can often get them to, to back down and go away. If, if suddenly, oh, this person's with me, don't worry, you know. Um, but something that I, that I don't often talk about uh, as a technique is if you think somebody's going to challenge you and you're on a physical access assessment, one of the most effective things that you can do is go up to them and challenge them or, or talk to them or, you know, um, get get them to, to, to do something, you know. Going and and do do a kind of um, breaking attack where you know if they're thinking about oh trying to look to see if you're wearing a badge or something like that you can go up to them and just completely you know take the scenario and, and, and dominate the conversation and again they're they're less likely to to challenge you it's a lot of a lot of psychology for for me it's it, I, I've never studied psychology but it's a lot of trial and error of of what works but those kinds of things what if there's two people what if somebody comes up and demands to see your ID or what if somebody causes some distraction or or something like that those things aren't talked about in security awareness training people just think that you know the stranger who's not supposed to be there is going to stand completely still and you're going to walk up to them and say you don't work here and they're going to say oh god you caught me when in actuality most security awareness training doesn't even cover the fact of what you're supposed to do when you do challenge them what next just some of the basics it's it's an interesting point because it's actually something Denham brown talks about all the time i've read a couple of his books you know and the distraction technique especially if he, he talks about how He's got himself out of trouble several times where somebody's come up and mm. squared up to him and he's changed the subject to totally different, to something totally different. You know, I think I've left the oven on at home. Do you ever go out and do that? Or, yeah. you know, that type of silly stuff. And as well, the, the bit about not seeing people or pretending you don't see, he does it on stage. He does a live experiment on stage where he'll be talking from the left wing about something and there'll be a guy in, in a gorilla suit who'll come on on the right wing and do something and go, go off and then he'll say afterwards, did you see the gorilla? And everybody will go no because everybody was focused on him so that's where that two-person thing comes in as well you know it's uh, it's it's misdirection isn't it and, and and actually it's just done on a different scale it's it's just done in a different environment and it takes it does take a lot of guts to do i i, I admire people who do it and pull it off correctly yeah uh, my experience of uh, physical access testing is that i love having done it but don't enjoy actually doing it you know it's great to get that uh, adrenaline dump afterwards and um, there's some of the best reports to write in terms of where you went, what you got away with. We've previously done, you know, taking photographs in, in certain areas to, to demonstrate that you were able to get there. And of course, some of the areas we get to are ridiculous or taking selfies behind security barriers and things like that. Um, so it's good. It, make, it makes for a good report. But um, it is, in my experience, one of the areas of security awareness that's just not covered. People are going to talk about PII and not, not sharing personal data and not clicking links in emails and those kinds of things, but then rarely talk about the fact that might just ring you up and talk to you on the phone and get coerce you into performing an action or disclosing some information over a, a voice call or i might monitor you on social media and see an event that you're going to and go to the same event meet you in person and talk to you there about it and, and social engineering can be many many more things than just don't click links and emails I, I, absolutely and I, I covered it in one of my videos recently um or, or one one about to come out actually um I, I talk about that stuff i talk about giving giving away information too much of it on social media you know not, not just birth dates and dog names and no stupid what's your hacker name and all that type of stuff but you know more, more information than, than you should be giving away on there you know and and it's it's a treasure trove it's a treasure trove for people uh, like yourself who who are going to do this at some point for an organization and pick an unsuspecting member of their team and have everything at their fingertips yeah yeah i mean there's there's so many different ways that we can we can bring in those biases and we can counter 
one of the things that when we're doing any kind of social engineering is is keeping security awareness training in mind and what what are the things that this team are likely to to be to be told about and trying to build the scenario around that nothing elaborate nothing like dressing up like a ninja and rappelling in from the ceiling but but just little things another example might be something as as simple as if you see a senior member of the company like in the car park or in reception something like that going up to them and talking to that member of staff and engaging them in a conversation polite friendly conversation for as long as you can so that other people see you speaking to the boss and then they think oh well the boss knows who they are so they must be here and that's just you know that's just just uh basic scenario building so how do you get all of this across in 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 videos then how do you how do you build your content in such a way that you know you're, you're covering all of the bases i think you can only take one thing at a time right and, and we're not doing hollywood productions but you can only take kind of one approach at a time so whether it's an email about sorry whether it's a video about say business email compromise or gift card scams or typical phishing techniques or have what the benefits of having a clean desk i find you can only you, you can only pick that one area and then start building layers on it because what i find then is that my my upbringing in in liverpool comes in then in the 80s of of being in in a socially deprived area of unemployment and high unemployment and and things like that and the way out of it was humor it was either humor or football or or fighting i'm rubbish at fighting right i cannot fight sleep therefore i wasn't a bad footballer and i tried to be funny maybe maybe more tedious than funny but um, it, it was it was almost like a competition who was more quick-witted than than your other peers you know and then build into that the the kind of 80s humor the the virgin and friday friday night live which was a copy of Sat- saturday night live in america where you know people are talking about alternative comedy and you've got the young ones and you've got billy Connolly and you've got um uh, kind of monty python and all that coming through and and I, I just try and bring all of that into into the video around that around that one topic. So so we'll we'll sit down and have a planning session. We'll come up with ten subject areas that we may have seen recently, or somebody may have come to us with, and we'll sit down and we'll develop scripts around them. I think that's actually uh, an interesting point that gets possibly missed with internal training is. You know, my experience of, of watching companies put together their security awareness training and, and their materials is, you know, somebody sits down with PowerPoint and, and brain dumps. But what you're describing there is sitting down as a team and discussing different methods of getting that content across and trying to find, for, for you, of course, which uh, which joke lands the best. But in any case, be it be it humor or other things that you got in, it's just like, which of these ways of describing this solution is the, the most accessible, which is going to work best for our audience? You know, we've got all of these ideas. And I think that's a big thing that's that's maybe missed from security awareness training is sitting down as a team and, and discussing how do we best present this in the in the context of the organization that we have. Yeah, and, and I actually so sometimes it's got to be creative as well, right? And and I'm learning as I go through this process how to be more creative. Everybody thinks they're a comedian, everybody thinks they can tell a joke, right? But when you're actually writing that in a script in in a scenario, it's it's a different discipline. So so I, I do have people coming to me and saying, Hey, here's one you can have. And I, I understand how comedians must get absolutely pissed off when somebody comes up to tell them a joke, right? Because it's kind of here's a scenario you can have for your next video. It's like, yep, yeah, I'll add it to the other 400 I've got, which go straight in the bin, you know. And it's it's <laughs> it really is uh, intriguing that that everybody seems to have an opinion on how to get creative and how to be creative. Anyone can tell a joke. Not everyone can get a laugh. So 
when when you're creating content and and maybe people are listening to this and thinking that you know that's good we can we can take something away from this maybe we can produce some content internally to help our staff that kind of thing what what's your process look like what what i'm asking here is are you a one take wonder do you sit down film a video that's it all done in 4 minutes straight to the edit oh if only so so the the process roughly goes we'll do a shoot once a month where we'll shoot four videos and leading up to that shoot we'll all come up with ideas uh we'll fire them between ourselves because we're all kind of remote and then uh we'll come up with with the ideas that we want to base scripts around we'll work on the scripts and then we'll set a film and day and then uh normally we'll go up and, and we can get four done in a day at a squeeze if we don't all start creasing up at the stupid jokes that we've written in there you know or or i can remember the lines or stuff like that and um but 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 that's 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 generally the high level process with with a lot of ad living on the day as well so so you know if if anybody ever sees a script versus what goes out on the video there's there's quite a lot of ad, ad living in there and and we also like to include some of the stupid stuff in there where where there'll be direction of do this and look there because I'm going to put a PNG of somebody or other in there and then will show me on the green screen kind of just performing like an idiot with with nothing there you know so from start to finish including uh writing the script recording and then the edit how many hours of effort do you think goes into every minute of video? Oh, what a good question. Um, I think it is roughly um, to, to do, to, just to do the editing on one video. So it's about anywhere between three to four minutes of video. Just to do the editing on that, you're talking about 20 to 30 hours worth of editing on the one video. Um, scripting and ideas and stuff like that is is a continuous thing of over the month but so so you're probably talking about i, I don't know let's say four four or five hours for the ideas and scripts and kick it backwards and forwards and things like that then to get up there and do the do the film and you it's it's a full day for that really so 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 you're probably nearing a decent week start to finish this is the reason I asked that final question for the audience being curious as to why I took that tangent. I was, I was talking to, talking to, or ranting at somebody earlier today about content creation in general. I was talking, of course, about things like conference talks and presentations and those kinds of things. But the, the point broadly is like, um, some people think if you do, you know, a, a 30 minute talk at an event that that takes you 30 minutes to do. And it's like, oh, absolutely not. You know, I don't just get on stage and wing it. I, I mean script writing there's no editing as such but you know rehearsing the content getting it right getting the timing right getting the message right there's a lot in it and i just wanted to get that point across from 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 your videos where you know the audience might watch those and think hey that's that's four minutes and they're dead good and they'll share those with the team but realizing how much effort goes in behind the scenes i think is is something that people miss yeah and and, and actually effort's a strange word because because i love it right and it's it's almost no effort for me because i absolutely love doing it but you're right anything like that anything that is genuine and, and new and authentic and original i'll say original in inverted commas because nothing's original in life right everything's borrowed um but um when you're developing that content even if it's a even if it's a set of posters uh even if it's a one-page flyer or whatever it is it looks easy because people see the finished article and shortcut that idea that what do you mean that took you 10 hours so it's going to cost me x i can buy that from the mm -hmm. corner store for for why well go there in the first place and buy it because 
you know it's it's not the quality and it's not the thought and it's not the process and and it's almost like when people say can you come and speak at my event you'll have this frequently can you come and speak at my event and and yeah yeah well what's what's the content of it okay well i need to develop the presentation and this that and the other so 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 what are you guys paying for me to come and speak at your oh no 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 we we want you to speak for free because it'll give you coverage and stuff like that i'm like I'm on a platform that gets coverage to 700 and odd million users. How many of your registrants do you think I need coverage from? And 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 they'll probably be coming to see the likes of you or or Lisa or Amy or me or Rick or somebody or other. That that that'll be the draw to bring them in. And and they think they're then doing you a favor by giving you more exposure. <laughs> There is there is that side of it, but there's also just the side of it if you know if people are listening to this and they think you know, this is um, giving them the energy to make some content internally and, and, and improve something for their business. One of the things I think people are going to realize is like, uh, you know, everybody's really busy, right? Everybody, you've got a day job, everybody's um, busy. And if you think you're going to sit down and create content of this quality, you, you shouldn't be thinking necessarily, you know, about just that task of creating the content. But it's like, okay, well, what do you want to do less of to free up the time in the day to be able to to make this stuff? Because if you're going to sit down and do a, uh, you know, really high quality security awareness presentation or other uh, awareness materials, it's like that's going to take you some time. Yeah, it is. And, and I already have three, three or four other ideas for presentations that follow on from Are We Stupid or what? Mm-hmm. Or almost like, a, is it a comedy routine? I, I don't see it as a comedy routine, but I see it as something that you practice and you get better at. There's not only that, but um, one of the things with uh, public speaking is um, public speaking is uh, a practice skill. It frustrates me very much when people say things like, oh, you're, you know, you're good at public speaking as if like I was born capable to speak to, a, to an audience. It's like it's a skill. It's a skill. And, you know, look at people who, who go through what is the, the the hardest method of public speaking, maybe something like stand up comedy, where it's like, you know, you've got to get you got to get tight with that performance and you got to be able to deal with and not going and not working with the crowd and bringing it back. And one of my worst experiences public speaking was uh, knocking a coffee over my laptop so that the, the keyboard began to slowly fail as the presentation went on, which would have been fine if I wasn't doing technical demos as well. And then trying to work my way around doing the demo with with the lost keys. OK, right. H isn't working anymore. We've got to find got to copy and paste a H and all those kinds of things. But public speaking is a, a, a practice skill. Um, and that's why I was asking you about, you know, are you a one tech wonder or whatever? Because, you know, it, it, it takes effort and um, no doubt, uh, I presume, many techs to get to get high quality content. Yeah, it, it does. So, sometimes it, it flows. Some, sometimes it doesn't. You know, sometimes you just forget stuff or, or, or you're not feeling it or things like that. I, I, I had the same experience. My first ever uh, presentation at Infosec back in 2001 or something like that. And there was a, I was on the Symantec stand and a crowd full of people and the laptop just froze. The presentation froze and they're expecting a presentation on blended threats and Nimda and Code Red and stuff like that. I spent half an hour just telling stories and having the crack as it was with, with the audience. You know, it's, it's, it's a really difficult thing to do. Um, and, and you're right, it, it is a skill, but you have to have those terrible moments as well because because it never go, it never always goes great, you know? Yeah, absolutely. The best time to learn how to deliver a presentation without relying on a, a PowerPoint presentation is when you get there and the projector's broken. It's like, you will not have a PowerPoint. I've started trying to actually do it just with pictures now. 
not just stock images off, off the internet or anything like that. My own silly cartoon musings and drawings where, you know, I'll pull a picture up of Anne Robinson and talk about the being the weakest link or stuff like that, you know, and it, it's it's just that interesting thing to try and make it more engaging not just for the people viewing it but for you as well because if you've delivered that presentation 20 30 times you want something new in it for yourself to keep the engagement for you and the interest for you so so the people who are watching it get the same energy as the first people who who attended the presentation you know yeah absolutely ian thank you very much for for coming on and giving us a great overview of, of creating content both for security awareness training but i'm sure it's useful to to anyone looking to to present to their company or present to, to third parties for whatever reason but if people have heard the stories of father ian and the other videos that you have created and they want to know more um, where can people see your content so you can find me on linkedin ian murphy i'm the one with the cartoon face so i've got a red shirt and a and a gray beard and gray hair and it's 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 a cartoon i am founder of cyber off which is my company that i do most of these things to so you can either go to cyberoff.co.uk or find the company page on linkedin as well one one last word on on the choice of the the company uh, name i still don't have a clue what cyber means right i still i'm still unsure I think it was somebody, I think it was a civil servant somewhere who wanted to make themselves sound really windswept and interesting. So they came up with something that sounded as if it was astronomical or space-like. So they came up with cyber. That's my kind of homage to it with the cyber off bit as a slight cock of the nose to it and trying to understand, are we really cyber interesting people or have we just created a new term that we are... Um, um, trying to live into. It's clearly a contraction of cybernetic because people who work in security teams are robots. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I'll take that. Ian, thank you for being on the show again. My pleasure, Holly. Thanks for having me.